Imagine being held as a prisoner in Syria by a group affiliated with Al-Qaeda. And you're in this prison for months. And then when you get out, you find out you've been robbed. You hand over all this information to the police in your country, in your neighboring country, your friends up in Canada, and nobody ever does anything about it. That's, that's just barely scratching the surface of Matthew Schreier's story because in 2012 he was taken prisoner by an Al-Qaeda-linked group held by Canadians, no less, who helped rob him. He joins me on the line now from New York. Uh, Matthew, thanks for the time. Thank you for having me. I spent the weekend watching your story bubble up online. You you did a, a a series of interviews with Fox last week. You started tweeting at Canadians to tell the Canadian side of this story, and it got a lot of traction and a lot of interest. Uh, I went back. I've watched your TED Talks, uh, interviews you, you gave to CBC three years ago at, that I didn't even hear about at the time. And and you've you've got a fascinating story. So tell me how you went from being a freelance journalist to being the the guest of your friend General Muhammad. <laughs> uh, well, during my interrogation, this, straight off the bat, I figured that the best way to avoid being tortured would be to make these guys like me. But but you way... were you were there though because you were a freelance photographer, right? I, right. That you I, got I captured. Way, I, I was on my way home to the Turkish border when they grabbed me after 18 days. So I was 45 minutes from freedom when I got kidnapped. And I was immediately taken to the Children's Hospital of Aleppo and interrogated. And my lead interrogator, I believe, was a Canadian. And he called himself Abdullah. He's the one they brought in as a translator. And General Muhammad was in the room, and he ran the prison. He He was the man. And... I figured that the best way to avoid being tortured would be to make them like me. And the best way to make somebody like you is to make them laugh. Nobody ever wants to torture the guy who makes them laugh. So I started joking around with them. Uh, straight off the bat, General Muhammad seemed like an approachable guy when he let me see his face for a few seconds before lowering my blindfold back down. And I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes. So I said, are you going to kill me? And after a brief pause, he said, nah. So I just like screamed out "Happy New Year" because it was it was New it was New Year's Eve, and I leaned over so I could look out through the bottom of my cap to gauge his reaction, and it was good. Like he jumped back and smiled, and then everyone in the room started saying, "What do you say? What do you say?" And General Muhammad's like, "He said Happy New Year, Happy New Year," and they all started laughing. So I was like, "All right, good job. You broke the ice. <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going." So throughout this interrogation, where Abdullah, who like I said, it was a Canadian, I'm pretty sure was translating. I kept the momentum going, kept cracking jokes, kept making them laugh until finally it was over. And uh, after it was over, I was, I was brought to my cell. And for the first month and five or six days till February 6th, nobody touched me. Nobody insulted me. I was treated like a VIP. And uh, the only reason why that treatment ended was because General Muhammad caught me trying to escape and he got a little upset. Okay. So uh, try and escape, but don't get caught escaping or you'll upset your captors even if they like you. Right, man. That's one of the, the lessons in the book. The, the, one of the things you see in the book is I'm definitely somebody who learns from his mistakes. You um, you were asked in your initial interrogation about your background. Did you right. ever tell them? Because they knew you were from America. They knew you were from a new you you were from New York. Did you ever say, "Well, I'm a New York Jew"? You no, ever tell Al Qaeda that? No, man. No, <laughs> I did. I, I, my logic is you tell them. 
what they expect and what they want to hear. So they asked me, what is your religion? Straight off the bat, I said, I'm a Christian. What are your parents? I said, my grandparents all came over from Germany, which they loved. And they're like, ah, German. And <laughs> they, they, they look up to Germany? Well, you know, you got to you got to figure that these these people hate Jews. Who who are they going to admire the most? You know, that's that's the logic, and it worked. And we just breezed on and went right on after it. And that's what's that's like one of the really cool parts about my story is how many layers it has. It's like you have an American Jew pretending to be a German American Christian who then pretends to convert and become a Sunni Muslim. And I pulled all this off over a seven-month period without them ever discovering the truth. Now, Abdullah, who was doing your initial interrogation, uh, you believe he was Canadian, but you're, you're not sure. You end up, though, in a cell with a fellow from Vermont who lets oh. you know that these guys, this new batch of guys, they are Canadians because I live next to them for so long I can tell Right. Tell us that story. By the way, speaking with Matthew Schreier, and his new book is called The Dawn Prayer. It comes out tomorrow. It'll be in bookstores across the city and, of course, online as well. You need to check this out because we're getting into the fascinating Canadian angle on all of this. So uh, tell me about getting in the, uh, the cell with this Vermonter named Theo and getting interrogated and then robbed by Canadians. Well, Theo was the worst part of the entire experience because he was basically just a backstabbing trader whose only instinct was self-preservation. And when you're locked in a room with somebody like that, it's a real blow to your morale. You never know who you, you never know, if, you know what he's going to do. Like he's an American, but I never told him I was Jewish because I knew that he would tell on me. So I had to keep that a secret from him as well. And one month in. Al-Qaeda was trying to get my passwords for everything online, and I just kept saying, no, you know, it's not an ATM card to my credit card. It's 5050. I said that was my old code. So finally, because of the language barrier, uh, they brought in three Canadians to interrogate me, and they took me out of the cell, and they, they were like, all right, no more BS. We want your Social Security number, your passwords for all your credit cards, your bank accounts, Facebook, YouTube, Verizon, you know, the works, everything. Write it down. So I couldn't really, you know, jerk these guys around because they knew how the West works. So I gave them everything. Uh, none of the passwords worked because, you know, I write them down next to my computer. I never committed them to memory. So they came back the next day, and I spent another hour with them, uh, make, logging into the accounts myself on the laptop they, they brought with them. And, you know, they were very polite, professional, these three guys. They were young, didn't touch me, didn't do anything. And uh, next day, I believe, if I look at my records, you start to see activity on my credit cards and my bank accounts. And about two weeks later, when we were in a different prison, after we got caught trying to escape and we were being punished, we were brought to the worst place on earth. Like when you read this chapter, you're just going to be, you know, like, Ugh, like how is this possible to, for people to be treated like this? And then all of a sudden, Because you were tortured, not by these three guys, but you were tortured right. while you're in prison. Was, yeah. After we got caught trying to escape, you know, I got 115 licks to the bottom of my feet. Uh, with a thick cable that's about as thick as a nightstick, and brought to this other prison, which was like, I call it the dark side of hell. It was like we were locked in this cold, dark room, no light, barely any food, infested with bed bugs, and just tormented on a daily basis with loud music and, you know, bathroom breaks. Sometimes that we, wouldn't, we would go two and a half days without being taken to the bathroom. And we had bottles to urinate in, but, you know, and because we were, we were barely being fed, we didn't really have to go that bad for number two. So it was, it was really, 
the most horrid conditions like anyone can possibly imagine living through. And it broke my cellmate. The other American Theo would just hide under the covers all day and he would never come out, which was another big blow to my morale. And two weeks into this place, we get a, uh, a visit from two of the three Canadians. They come back and they're like, we need, a call. we need answers to your security questions for your credit card. And they ask me, you know, like, you know, random questions about my background, like, you know, what my first elementary school was, first car, you know, same questions everyone else has to answer. So I gave them the answers and I hung out with them for like probably about 45 minutes just asking the, you know, asking questions, how's the war going and whatnot. And they were, you know, again, very polite, very professional except when one of them dropped his gun on the floor like a goofball. But uh, <laughs> other than that, in terms of their attitude, you know, they were, they, were, they were tolerable. And I went back to my cell, and they took out my cellmate for about 20 to 30 minutes, and they basically interrogated him about me. And when he came back, cause like you said, he lived on the border right in uh, northern Vermont. He's like, they're Canadians. I recognize their accents. Because me, I'd never been to Canada. I've never really seen a movie with <laughs> Canadian <laughs> characters when you think about it. So, hey, you've probably uh, seen far more Canadians in movies than you realize, but we know but, how to sound like you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want work as an actor, you better learn. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, he's like, they're Canadians. And this guy was just the biggest mope in the world. So I was just like, yeah, whatever, man. You probably don't know what you're talking about. But uh, it was the one thing I give him credit for. He did. He did know, and uh, they were Canadians. It didn't really matter in regards to identifying them because the FBI was monitoring everything they were doing, so they pretty much knew who, exactly who these guys were before I even escaped. And, well, uh, yeah, so that was pretty much, I think, that was the last time I saw them. Okay, i got to take a, a, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Matthew Schreier. He is the, the author of... Uh, a dawn, the Dawn Prayer, his his memoir on surviving life in a, a secret Syrian terrorist prison. Sounds like fun. Uh, he's going to join us to tell us more, including about the man from Montreal who's got a connection to this case and a selfie with Justin Trudeau. That when we come back. You can listen to Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Matthew Schreier is on the show with me right now. He spent seven months in a secret Syrian terrorist prison. Just trying to stay alive, just trying to get out. He was interrogated at various times by Canadians, tortured by others. But when he got back to America, he discovered some interesting connections to Canada and his time in captivity. Uh, Matthew, you were going through your bank records and emails, and you found receipts for items shipped to Canada. Correct. And I put West Mount on- Quebec, beautiful part of, rich part of Montreal. They're, they're shipping what to there? Two tablets, two of 19 that were purchased with my money. And the guy, Hemrick Feet, he, he shipped them to himself under his real name. You can see it on Twitter. I tweeted it out. I was beyond myself, and I reported it immediately to Canadian authorities, uh, the FBI, and I got nothing. I got nothing until I never heard back from anyone, until the selfie emerged with Trudeau and one of the suspects, who is a good friend of Hemrick Feet's, who was 
with him in southern Turkey on the Syrian border at the time these purchases were made, I was told. And so do that, you think these guys were your Canadian captors? Uh, that, or, or did you see the faces of the guys that were no, taking your money? No, these guys were part of the same cell, from what I understand and what I've been told by people who are investigating this case. This is, they're part of a nine-person cell. The three guys who I met, the FBI told me that two of them are in custody and have been for four years. I've never identified them. They wanted me to ID them with a photo lineup and a tape recording, which I said I wasn't sure I could do because they were wearing masks and I would need to see them to size them up to avoid any mistakes. And uh, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I've seen Hammock in a video that the CBC showed me, so I'm pretty sure he wasn't one of them. The Turks also have a guy, Wasim Bugadu, who was part of the same cell. They locked him up last year while trying to cross in um, – while crossing in from Syria and trying to get back to Canada. And I know he wasn't one of them either because his skin is very dark and the guys that I met had light skin. Even though they were wearing masks, they weren't wearing gloves, and I pay attention to everything. Yeah. So uh, so, 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 so they, this guy shipped tablets to himself. There were other purchases made uh, yeah. with your credit card and, and with your banking information. But th- this this is part of the Canadian connection. This guy ships tablets to himself. My understanding is his home was raided by the RCMP, but he's never been charged with anything. Uh, from my understanding, he's never even been questioned. I mean, all the all the selfie guy, his house was robbed, uh, raided. Uh, Hemrick, I believe his house was raided, and I was told by the RCMP investigators that they confiscated devices bought with my money. Now I gave them all the documentation to link these devices to my money, and henceforth charge them with, you know, wire transfer fraud and, uh, you know, supporting a terrorist network organization, extortion, you know, you name it. They, I, so, I, I, I why why have everything. they not been been charged? If if you know all of this information, speaking with Matthew Schreier, the author of uh, The Dawn Prayer, about the Canadian connection to his, his uh, time being tortured and held in a Syrian terrorist prison, if they've got physical evidence... And and online purchase and tracking and shipping. You've got shipping labels. And the tape recording of one of them admitting that they did it from a wiretap. They the, played it for me. The guy says, Matthew Schreier, that was me. So the reason why, the why, reason why, why are no, they charged? That is a question for Crown Prosecutor Linda Carey to answer. The RCMP, who did their jobs, you know, I, I, I've had some static with them uh, about a lot of things. But one thing I cannot say because I'm a fair person, is that they didn't do their jobs. They did their jobs. They put together an ironclad case, and I was told in an email a year ago that they were presenting it all to the Crown. This was February of last year, and that they, were, they wanted to move in and make arrests early last year. The only thing stopping them is Linda Carey, and you know she's never even had the, enough respect to get on the phone with me and tell me why. She's not prosecuting these people. And she, meanwhile, I have to go online and find out that she's trying to prosecute a, a Muslim couple because they had a box of nails and a pressure cooker in their house, a case she lost, when she has a mountain, the Mount Everest of evidence against these guys, and she oh. will not move forward with a case. I, I am, <laughs> I'm looking at the shipping information for these two tablets. You've got his name. You have blurred out part of his address so that you can't find his his full address um in a twitter policy twitter policy okay uh but you've got that you know who he is that he lives in westmount quebec what he purchased 
and you sent that out. And in fairness to CBC, an outfit that I am incredibly critical of, three years ago when you told them your story, Adrian Arsenault tracked him down and tried to interview him. He refused to speak. Um, right. So right. Th- this is not a new story for the Canadian officials, and, and yet this is – you're just at a standstill. You've been tweeting at Ralph Goodale, uh, our public safety minister, and Jody Wilson-Raybould, our justice minister – any reply? Any interest in your story in Canada? Of course not, man. Nobody nobody wants to have anything to do with this case because it's so messy, and the people running things have made such uh, just a mess of the entire operation that, that really nobody wants to get their hands dirty with this. I'm hoping now that this is in the public eye, you know, the FBI is under uh, – the, the spotlight at Fox. You guys are starting to really put the spotlight on the people who are making these decisions. Maybe now we'll see some traction. Um, hopefully, some TV interviews. Some people will have the courage because, you know, that seems to be something that the media lacks in, in your country outside of the radio is is courage. And hopefully, some people who are in front of the camera will have the guts to start asking these questions it's from Linda Carey from the RCMP who like I said did their jobs and they did them well as long as they took them and we can find out why these terrorists are being permitted to live next door to people like you and your children and how they're not even monitored to the point where they can walk up next to the prime minister of your country get past all of his security and, and get a, a selfie self- yeah. And get a selfie and then put it on Facebook, slapping everyone in the face. And that happened just a couple months after he was, uh, uh, his home was raided, you tell me. It's a joke. It's a joke. All right. Uh, Matthew, thanks for your time, and, and let's keep in touch, uh, especially if something happens. Matthew Schreier is the author of The Dawn Prayer or How to Survive in a Secret Syrian Terrorist Prison, a memoir. You can buy it on Kindle right now or in stores and online tomorrow. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.